seated if you're in the room and wherever you are. Why don't we just kind of zero in and focus in for the next few moments. I'd like to talk about five letters that can change your life. Five letters that can change your life. We're just going to kind of break it down for a few moments this morning and talk about some simple things that can assist us in becoming who God wants us to be. Five letters that can change your life. Without a doubt, we are concerned with the war that's unfolding in real time in our little world. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has upset our present level of peace and placed us on spiritual high alert. The impact and the effect not only causes concern for the Ukrainian people, but also for those of us living in the privilege and freedom of democracy. I have done reading, probably like many of you, about the Ukrainian nation and how they are a strong nation. They have uh, you know, a powerful population, and they also have uh, this fact that I, I have been holding on to. It's the fact that 72% of the adults declare themselves to be Christian. Our prayers join with the prayers of those people because prayer is a powerful thing. Our prayers with their prayers can change and shape the nation. And could it be that in the midst of our little prayer this morning, joined with so many more, that God is in the midst of doing a miracle that we have yet to realize? I choose to believe that God is still in control. Our news, uh, it rivets our attention to the reality that we are living in the end of the end time. Scripture told us, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, but then it gives us this instruction when we hear that news. See that ye be not troubled, for these, all of these, someone say all of these, things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. There's all kinds of things that we can focus our attention on, but I, I just like to remind us that God is still in control. There's a lot of smart people, smarter people than me, making all this make sense in light of biblical prophecy, and I haven't come to do that today, but I've come with a little reminder that the greatest impact that we can have on our world is to live our everyday in such a way that it glorifies God. Right here, right now, where we live in our day. It's that simple, it's that succinct, it's that spiritual. It's that God looks for a people that will live in such a way that gives Him glory. I watched, uh, but many of you, if you're on our CCC member site, you may have had the opportunity already. Pastor Woodward posted a quick video of Pastor Sergei Tomev this morning in his address to the church at large. Many people are looking his way, obviously, for his input. And, and I was amazed at his faith in the face of fear. He said in his commentary, he said, this is just the beginning. This isn't mean, meaning that this is over. This is not over. He said, pray for the people that are fighting for freedom and pray and send support and all those kind of things. But he said, we are looking for a mighty victory. He said, Don't, in the midst of that, he did a little preaching. Is that okay? He did a little preaching in the midst of his three-minute video clip. He said, don't take the opportunity for granted to go to church. Take advantage of every opportunity that you had. In other words, while he's facing some of the greatest challenges of their life, while a nation is facing that incredible challenge that the world is overlooking and overseeing right now, he's got faith in the midst of that. Not that everything's over, but that God, he said, is just beginning. 
That is, that is a way that we can live in such a way that God gets the glory in our activity. That God gets the glory in, a, in our focus. That God gets the glory. He's got no doubt. He's got incredible opposition and, and great spiritual struggle. And, and the, the dynamics that's happening in the spiritual world must be intense. However, in the face of all that, that young pastor still looks at the camera and says, pray, this is just the beginning. It's not over. God is about to do something great. I, I have to tell you, it convicted me a little this morning. It, it challenged me a little bit today because sometimes I can get focused on a few of the small problems that we've got locally. It's not our intention to only have a handful in the service this morning here in the building. And I'm praying that we have a great contingent of CCC members joining us online right now. I hope that you've made your living room a sanctuary. I, I pray that you've prepared an altar somewhere in your home because God's not finished with us yet in spite of whatever opposition we may be facing locally. I, I just join my voice with that pastor and say, it's just the beginning. It's not over. God's in the beginning of soon doing something brand new, Revival isn't passe. It's not something we've moved off the table, but I've come to declare that we are in the midst of the greatest revival that our world has ever seen. And we're standing in it. It may not look like it right now, but I tell you, that's the place where faith takes its best root. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I'm believing God for great revival. I'm believing his word is true. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul picks the most common of human activities and combines them with the greatest spiritual responsibility. I'm going to be really honest this morning. The first thing that I think of when I go through the Tim Hortons drive through is often not the fact that when I drink this large, single cream, single sugar, regular bun, piping hot coffee in a red cup capped with a new odd white lid that I don't understand yet, when I drink this coffee, that I will somehow bring glory to God. It's not, my, it's not the first thing I think about. However, Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do it all to the glory of God. we got to pause for a minute and think about that. Could it be that our most common human activities have the potential to bring God glory? I gotta, I'm, I'm blessed, you know, I put a couple inches on my waistband, so I'm blessed with a, a wonderful wife that can cook. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, my, my idea about food is that I give God glory when I exercise self-control. And I don't get the Boston cream donut. Or I don't eat the whole McCain cake by myself. Sometimes that's my idea about food and drink, that patience while people take forever at the order window, yes, that's an opportunity for me to exercise spiritual fruit, kindness that the dear lady is running around in circles, yes. But by the time that the cup is in the cup holder, I've considered the task accomplished. But Paul somehow says that in the next moment, I have the spiritual opportunity that exists in the most common activity feeding this flesh that creates so much trouble for us all. Paul says in that moment, there's an opportunity to what? Give God 
the glory. What is the deal with that? How could it be? Could it be that God takes a look at our life in such a different way? We look at it as just another day. We look at it from one event to the next big event. We look at it from one fun moment to the next fun moment. When Paul breaks it down to the most common everyday activity. We've got to drink water to live. And Paul says, you know what? In the moment that you drink that cup, you could be giving God glory with your life. Do it all to the glory of God. I, I think it creates this this opportunity that maybe we don't consider. I think it creates uh, a responsibility that we don't all live into, that, that, that everything that we do in our lives has the potential to bring glory to God. Everything. Could it be? Could it be that, that whatever we do can bring God glory? Now, we get it. We, we get it that, that if Paul had said, whether you preach or sing, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. Someone say Amen. When you're at the podium praying in the public eye, do it all to the glory of God. When you're living and the spotlight somehow gets on you for your five minutes of fame, you know, I just want to thank God. Now, we, we, we see that. We see that. But, but Paul, he takes it from the great, grand moments in our life, and he breaks it down into the everyday activity that every one of us do. And he says, when you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. I'm not much into classical music. If you went through my music history, you'd find some searches for classical music. Not a lot. A little bit of classical guitar somewhere. But of all the classical composers that have ever composed, if you were to say who was the greatest of them all, most would direct their attention to an individual called Johann Sebastian Bach. He is noted as the greatest composer of all time, the most groundbreaking, incredible composer that ever has lived. His influence has impacted almost every element of music written since his death. He's kind of a handsome fellow. I think we've got a picture of him here. Still a little bit in need of a COVID haircut. Got to get the home kit out. He's a good-looking guy. Maybe he got a little bit of a... I don't know what filter they got on him this morning. He looked, I, don't, I don't know if his eyes are gray or blue. I don't know. Don't know. But if you were to read a little bit about Bach, they'd say that with supreme skill, he sculpts music of perfect form and balance, bestowing it with an emotional power that has echoed through the centuries. From the beauty of the shallow suites to the bewildering ambition of the keyboard works to the dramatic force of the cantatas, no one has and could possibly ever will come close to box genius. And when we, uh, we begin to wonder, well, what was it that made this man different? We could point at his childhood. He had an admiration and an aspiration for music. His parents both died in the span of nine months when he was just nine years old. He lost two of his siblings. Perhaps music was the place where he sought solace. He did have a gifted ability. He grew up around it. He would sneak into his uncle's study in the middle of the night and copy the sheet music note for note and then anticipate with excitement the next day when he could take those notes that he had clandestinely copied in the middle of the night and he would sit and study and then perform the pieces. He, he was hired as a church organist at a young age, just a teenager, 17 years of old age. He he, uh, he began this work in the public eye. His, 
His works weren't really well known until, um, until later after his passing. He wasn't rich during his own lifetime. His living was made with weekly services and churches and weddings and funerals and local music events that allowed him to take care of his family. But the popularity of his music would only become a reality hundreds of years after his passing. And when he became famous and when he became popular, it was then that people began to understand maybe what it was that made Bach great. He was too grand to be ignored. Great musical minds as diverse as Beethoven and Chopin, the masters of jazz and countless others would lean back on his work, his ability, his his writing, his composing. and, And all of their success would be completely unthinkable if it wasn't for his legacy that was left for them to build on. He was a tremendous guy. Not only was he a tremendous musician, but I think somewhere he also was a wonderful theologian. He had a strong Christian background and a basis in the Bible and an anchor to the Word. It was said that before Bach would write any of his music, he would pen the initials JJ at the top of the sheet of paper. That sheet of paper that he would then go on to script the wonderful music that he would play and the world would revere, started with this simple two letters, J, J. Those letters stood for Yesu Juva. Our, our translation would say, Jesus, help. Bach recognized that he had been given a gift, but more than that, he was understanding that he was merely a steward. And that he wanted God to be honored in his music. And so his prayer was always, Jesus, help me. We've all got those moments when we understand that we need the help of God. We all have the stories of the times when we learned of a sickness or an illness or a tragedy or a failure or a fault and a failing. And and we cried out and we thanked God that he heard us in that moment. But our cry was, Jesus, help. We need help. Thank God for those stories. Thank God for people like Peter who walked out on stormy oceans by faith. But then when he was on the water, he took his eyes off of of Jesus and he cried out, help, Jesus, save me. I I wonder what would happen if somehow we began to live our lives in such a way that before we were in the storm, before we left the boat, as a matter of fact, before we ever stepped foot from the shore, before we left our homes, let's just backtrack through the day. If somehow we would begin our day writing JJ over our lives and say, Jesus, would you help me today? Jesus, I acknowledge my need of you. I, I, I know, I, you know, Bach, he's just, he's just that guy, but I wonder, I just did, did a little, little uh, graffiti this morning. I wonder if somehow we allowed this to determine the activity of our lives. I wonder if somehow when we begin our day that next to our toothbrush was these simple two letters that would remind us, Jesus, I need your help today. Just two letters, just two letters. Maybe take a Sharpie, write it on your mirror before you get yourself presentable for the rest of the world. You could remind yourself, today, I need the help of Jesus. If I'm going to ever accomplish anything, if I'm going to do anything well, if I'm, gonna, if I'm ever going to give God glory in this day, then I have to be determined that I need the help of Jesus you know, too often, here's, here's the challenge, is that I like to live my day this way. 
I want to live in the ability of Jack Lehman. I want to be able for Jack Lehman to get the credit for what he accomplishes. I, I, I want to live in the idea that, that this is how I, I can live my life and, and that whatever accomplishes I make, I can get the credit for. You know, we just kind of live our lives too often by our own credibility, by our, what we think is our own ability. And we just kind of got to crumple the page of that and we've got to go back to living this way. We've got to remind ourselves that if we're going to accomplish anything, it's not going to be by our strength. It's not going to be by our ability, but rather it's going to be Yezu Jabba. We need your help, Jesus. Jesus, I need your help on Monday. And Jesus, I need your help on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever day of the week you want to pick. I, I don't want to live in the light of my own assistance or my own ability or my own skills, but rather I would stand and say, God, more than ever, our world needs somebody that's determine I'm not going to live by my own ability but I need your help today I need this over every single day I know music it can have its own approach and its own peace and its own melody and its own line but I think if we just kind of determined every single day I'm going to live in the light of Jesus helping me you see, box work, it was the works that were profound, the, the pages long, the hours long concerts that he would create. He would start with that simple letter. You can see it up on the left-hand corner, J, J, Jesus help. But not just those grand cantatas where people would acknowledge his genius and his ability. It was the simple fun music that he would pen with the beginning of J, J. It was every single day. It was every single activity. He was just letting the world know, you know what? I can't do any of this without him. Yeah, it's a simple melody. Uh, maybe a, fi a fifth grader could accomplish the work. Maybe just somebody 10 years old could do this on their own. But, but before I complete it, I'm just going to write, JJ, Jesus, I need your help. Some would say, oh, it's too simple. Why are you calling on God for that? I need him. I need him in everything I do. I need him in every activity I, I undergo because I don't know what's around the next turn. I don't know what's gonna, what I'm going to face in the next few moments. And if I've just already determined in this day, I'm going to live this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let JJ rule the day of my life. Jesus, I need your help today. How would our lives be different if we lived in the light of his help? Day after day. What, what, you know, what, what could Jack Lehman do by himself? What, what could I do? What could I accomplish? What could I accumulate? How often? So often. And that's, that's how I want to live. But it's not going to be eternal. It's not going to be efficient. It's not going to be full of God's ability. But if I will live with his help, God only knows what could get accomplished today. The longer we're here in this life on this earth, the more we recognize our need for his help. It was a time in Israel's history in the days of Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant had been displaced for 20 years. It sat now in the house of Abinadab, and the Bible tells us that Israel lamented after the Lord. Samuel calls the nation to a place of consecration, and he challenges them to repentance and to sanctify their lives and to remove the sin and the activity, the idolatry that had possessed them. They were lamenting, and Samuel said, here's why. And as they began this activity of repentance and they, uh, they act as a body of, of believers asking God to help them. It says that when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. 
I'll just say this, that the enemy is always going to show up when you determine that you want to live your life in the help of God. The enemy is always going to show up at your place of dedication. The enemy is always going to rise up against revival because he fights most what he fears. With Samuel at this moment, the Philistines are on their approach. And Samuel challenges Israel. He said, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us. That he will save us from the hand of the Philistines. That God will help. You see, Samuel, he takes a moment and he sacrifices. And God hears. The enemy attacks. But verse 10 says that the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. And there's a great victory because Israel has called on God for help. It was in that place of sacrifice and in that place of dedication, but, but God met them in that place. But Samuel doesn't want the message to get lost. He doesn't want them just to get uh, so caught up in the celebration that, that he, he, they just kind of go their own way. Samuel, it says that he took a stone and he set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer saying, hitherto the Lord has helped us. I'll tell you what will happen when we begin to live our day asking for the help of God. There's going to be moments when we realize I'm only here because God helped me. And in that moment, we need to be determined. We're going to set up a stone that says God has helped us in this place. God met with us. And the more times that God shows up and does the work that he does, that's the more times that we can set up the stones of deliverance. Say, hitherto, the Lord has helped us. And when we get in a rough spot somewhere in life we can put point back and say you know what God met us right there do you remember when the Philistines approached but God showed up we didn't have to fight we didn't lift a sword it was just a thunder that came from heaven and discomfited the Philistines they were all defeated because we chose to look on the help of God. I, I think that we have some stones in our life because there's been times when we call on God for help. But I wonder how many more stones would be there if we said every single day, Jesus, I need your help today. Lord, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. We need an Ebenezer stone every day. It said that Samuel placed that stone between Mizpah and Shan, it was between the highest point and the lowest point. Mizpah, it's the watchtower. That's what it means. The word means, means watchtower. It was the highest point. And Shin is the cliff. It's that place of, uh, you know, so you got this contrast of the highest place to the lowest place. Uh, I'll just be really honest with you. This week feels a little bit like going from the highest place with Brother Mark Brown last week. To the lowest place with just a few of us being here this morning. But here's what I know. Somewhere in the midst of that place and this place, God has put a stone of help. Somewhere God's work. He's not, God's not absent. God's at work right now. We look at our world and we can say we're in a low place right now. We've got Russia attacking Ukraine. We're in a low spot right now. But here's what I know. If we enter this day with this over our lives, then we can be determined. God's going to show up. God's going to fight for us. God's at work. We're not doing this all by ourselves on our own I I came into today determined Jesus I need your help and God's not going to let us down God's not going to let us down we may be in a room full of youth one week 
and our living room the next. But we've still got a stone called Ebenezer that we can erect and say, God has helped us in this place. God has helped us until now. Samuel found that spot that was visible no matter where you were. Whether you were in the valley or you were on the mountaintop. Whether you were somewhere in the middle. He said, I'm just going to put this stone here to remind us. God's got it all in control. Need it. I need his help today. I need his help. But if you were to look at box composition, not only did you find that JJ was the letters that preceded his work, at the end of the composition, you would also find three more letters. It was just SDG. It was shorthand for a Latin phrase that was soli Deo Gloria. I'll say it in English because I'm not very good in Latin. Glory to God alone. Before he was popular, before he was celebrated, before he was acknowledged for all of his grand musical ability, he had determined that everything that he did was going to give God glory. He wrote those three letters at the end of every composition to make the ultimate purpose of his work clear. The music wasn't to bring glory to the performers. It was a reminder every time the conductor picked up the page and the stick to conduct the individuals that were listening to, that were performing the music, that God is going to get the glory alone. It was a reminder to every hearer that that opportunity and that ability that they all had came from someone greater than them. For Bach, every note, chord, and page of music pointed beyond itself, pointed to a human creator, the one creator who deserved all the glory. Whatever we do, whatever we do, whether we eat or we drink, give God the glory. What is it that SDG reveals about God's glory? Well, we're coming back to the music this morning. I'll just leave us with three quick points. If you knew that every day was going to start with JJ and you wanted every day to end with SDG, then we would live the way that God would desire us to live. Somewhere between Jesus' help and God alone deserves the glory is our daily activities. Our melody is created by our responses, our actions. And that allows us to live a life in such a way that either God gets the glory or he doesn't. We can begin on our own. I can start the day with JL. We can act on our own. We can exercise our own strength. We can help ourselves to our own desires, our own actions, our own will, our own talents, our own giftings. Or we can cry out to God for help and say, God, from the beginning of this day until the end, I need your help if we're going to give God glory in everything that we do. God, you see then, when you know that at the end of that day you're going to print those letters, God gets the glory alone. If you know that, it's going to help you determine what you do. It's going to determine how you live. Because I don't want to act in a way that God doesn't get the glory. I want to live in such a way that every activity, even my drive through the Tim Hortons lineup, 
is in such a way that God can get the glory. I'm going to live in such a way that I'm crying out to God. I can't do this on my own. God, I need your help. And then we're determined at the end of the day, God is going to get the glory. I, I don't want to live in such a way that, that it's accomplishments that I can do by myself. I want to live a faith-filled life and say, God, I believe that you can heal somebody today. I believe that you can save somebody today. I believe the waters of baptism could be stirred today. We can't do that on our own, but we can do it when we're looking in the light of seeing that God gets the glory for what we accomplished in that day. We can live in such a way that he's edified and he is glorified. That's how we live when we end our days this way. To God alone be the glory. There are those times when we begin walking and working all by ourselves. And I like what Brother Tenney said. He said, don't take the credit when things go good and then you won't have to take you won't have to take the bad news when things go bad. I, I, I like it. I like the idea that, you know what? Let's just give it all to God. And then at the end of this day, He is going to get the glory. If by some miracle we make a difference, we accomplish something of worth. If we are able to celebrate and Rejoice in what we see done. Don't let us get on a pedestal, God. Don't let, us, don't let us become the Nebuchadnezzar where we begin to want the glory all for ourselves. But God, I pray that we live in such a way to you alone be the glory. Our good friend David Smith, he's been here a number of times. He's an evangelist. He preaches around the world. He sees miracles and signs and wonders and and, uh, you know, after being around him, I, I drove him some, to some of the churches in our province a couple of times. And, and I'd be there while services were preached and people were healed and set free and delivered. And, and after service, I began to understand there's, there's just this little, little phrase. He, every time somebody passes him a compliment, I, I noticed every time that someone said, hey, wow, what a great message. Or, wow, incredible. You know, five people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know. Six people were healed. People were delivered. God performed financial miracles after you were with us for this week. You know, I, I'd hear him say this little word. Well, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Brother Smith, thank you for preaching. Thank you for being with us. It was incredible. Well, to God be the glory. Brother Smith, man, 10 get the holy. We haven't had a breakthrough like that in 20 years. Well, to God be the glory. And every time, and after a while, it kind of settles in your spirit. You know what? This guy has a hold of something powerful. He's, a, he, he, he's understanding that if he wants, to, he wants to get on the pedestal and gets recognized, then, then that's probably about where all the miracles stop. But there's something powerful about when you understand. It's not about us. It's not about what we do when God does the miracle. I'm thankful for what happened in this room last weekend. Let me tell you, to God be the glory. It's not our ability. I thank God for a wonderful team. I thank God for a tremendous church. We're praising God for what he's doing uh, through us right now. But none of us deserve the credit. We got to stand under that banner at the end of every day and say to God, be the glory. If God performs the work, if there's a powerful revival, I've come to declare it's not because of anything we've done. It's just simply this one fact. To God be the glory. We live in the light of his ability. We 
I'm showing my age, but I love this song by Andre Crouch. Not going to sing it. Keep playing. Kath, you're doing great. How can I say thanks for the things you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to you. And then we go into the course and it says, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things that he has done. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He has raised me. To God be the glory for the things that he has done. At, at the end of every day, I just want to stand under this banner and say, God, thank you for your help. Thank you for the way you assisted us. Thank you for the way you brought strength. Thank you for helping us live in the light of eternity today. Thank you for that. But God, at the end of this day, to God, be the glory to God be the glory it's his blood his power his ability that has saved us you know we were look look at your neighbor look at your family take a look around and just tell them you were made for the glory of God David said it in Psalms 8 he said you crowned him with glory and honor. Speaking about humanity, let that sink in. We are crowned with glory and honor. But the glory isn't ours. It's His. Humanity was made for God's glory, not ours. Here's the problem. Here's the second lesson. We're going to rifle through them. Humanity wants the glory. If we were meant for God's glory, it's the enemy's duty to get our focus off of God and on ourselves. Humanity is, is meant to live for God's glory, but we work every day against the idea that we want our glory. You know, I, I crumpled the page up probably prematurely. But too often I want to live in the glory of Jack Lehman when I just got to live in the glory of God alone. We want the glory. It's humanity. It's, it's what pushed Satan out of heaven, that pride that he had. He wanted the glory shared with him that was God and God's alone. And that attitude, that idea, that focus, that, that attention-seeking is still at work in humanity. And I don't even have to say anything about social media for you all to agree with me. That's why something resonates deeply with our world when somebody lives this way. Jesus addressed the Pharisees of his day, John 5, How can you believe which receive honor one from another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? They were so focused on each other's accomplishments and glory. They were just seeking the glory for themselves when it came from God. But humanity hasn't changed. Technology has, ability has. Travel has, everything has changed, but humanity hasn't changed. We still live with the same challenge today. It's still the motive that we fight, and that's why I appreciate the past weekend with our great evangelist. He challenged so much of today's ideals that the world presents and pushes. To God be the glory alone examines our motives and our desires. 
the intentions of our heart. It exposes the human tendency to want to steal the glory from God that's His and His alone. Just look at your neighbor and say, to God be the glory. I, not about us, to God, to God, to God be the glory. Be careful when we present our carefully manicured posts on social media who gets the glory. None of these things are inherently bad. And, but just the question, can we, should we examine our activity in the light of at the end of daily composition, at the end of what God, what melody God is playing through our lives, at the end of that day, can we put to God alone be the glory? God alone. You see, that's why the gospel is such a powerful tool, and I'm ending here right now. The gospel pushes back against the idea about us. The gospel is about God's glory. The good news is that God created us to experience His gospel and His glory. The gospel directly gives the glory to God. None of us can save ourselves, but thank God He saved us. And Paul said it like this to the church at Corinth. He said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He said, I got two, two messages I can preach. I can preach my glory or I can preach God's gospel. I get to pick every day. That's why. That's why we need to be careful that every activity in our day lives in the light of these three words we print at the end of the page. To God be the glory alone. I'm convinced that if we frame every day between those five letters, Jesus help, and to God be the glory alone, we could and would declare the glory of God in such a way that our world would be radically changed by people whose determination is for others to see the glory of God alone. If you're in the room, I wonder if you'd stand together with me. If you're at home right now, I wonder if you would take a moment and prepare. Prepare your life in such a way that God would allow his word to lodge. That our spirits would be impacted and that our decisions would be framed in a brand new light. Not because of an individual's ability to communicate today, but rather because... We've declared our need for him and our desire for his glory to be evidenced in every part of our day. Would you pray together with me, Jesus? Just being honest, God, we hate. We hate the dislocation of our congregation, some here, some there, some. But somehow you're at work, and I pray today that our families are connected. And God, that bond that binds us is greater than God, the distance that separates us right now, I, I ask that you would impact us in a way, God, in the way that you would if we were all together in this room, if we had that ability and that opportunity. Jesus, I pray today that you would see we are declaring, God, corporately and independently, we, we are declaring our absolute need of you. Jesus, 
help us. God, help us at the beginning of this week. We set this time aside. But God, at the beginning of this, I pray that this week that you would see our, our desire for your help. God, your help in every decision. Your help in, God, in managing our homes. Your help in, in our workplace. God, that we, we need your help. We need your help to be the church that you've called us to be. We need your help to find those individuals that are hungry right now. We, we need your help to see beyond the scope of our limited, our limited vision. And God, that we, we could see beyond into the individual that's hungry and needing our help today. God, let us see with your eyes. I, I pray that we would see with your help us, Jesus. Come with your great ability, your help. God, your assistance. Be our Ebenezer today. Be that help that we need to see clearly. God, somewhere on our walk, I pray that you would show up and be the help that we need. And God, as we prepare to close this service and in a, in a great degree to close this day that we have together. God, I, I pray that you would allow us, God, to live in a way that you alone get the glory. God, that you alone would get the credit, that you alone would, God, would be seen, that you alone would be elevated, that you alone, God, you alone, to God be the glory alone. Let it become a guiding directive in our lives, I pray. God, let it become a part of the force that causes us to make the right decisions. Let your spirit lead us, we ask, in your powerful, in your incomparable name we pray today. In Jesus' name we ask it. And the church said, amen. Amen. Those two pages and those five letters can determine, determine what kind of church we become, what kind of individuals, what kind of families we, we are. Those five letters can literally change our world. God bless you today. We dismiss you in Jesus' name. We love you. To God alone be the glory. Someone say amen.